Amen. Get your copy of God's Word. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 1. I uh, wanted to to do a uh, three-part series this month that I've entitled The Theology of the Incarnation. That sounds real fun, right? We're going to get a little deep over the next three weeks. But I, I promise um, there's something there's something that you and I have to understand as we celebrate Christmas this year. The theology of the incarnation, what Christmas really means. And uh, we're going to, every Sunday for the next three weeks, uh, we are, this week, the next two weeks, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I, I read a uh, little thing last night. It says, according to legend, Satan and his demons... Uh, we're having a Christmas party. I know, it's, it's a legend, right? As the demonic guests um, were departing, one grinned and said to Satan, Merry Christmas, Your Majesty. At that, Satan replied with a growl, Yes, keep it, Mary. If they ever get serious about it, we'll all be in big trouble. Point well made. Uh, point well made. So as we get into into this uh, concept, this this theological conversation, I, I realize it could get deep. Maybe it won't be too bad. I'll do my best to keep it uh, light. But uh, I want to encourage you to dig in. I want to encourage you to dig deep and to grow strong as you and I understand a little bit more about Jesus and following Him uh, in this meaning. Uh, the, the true meaning of Christmas. Read with me John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Now I need to give you a verse, uh, a memory verse, for this three-part sermon series. Verse number 14. And, and look, as you as you think about this uh, uh, this 
theology of the incarnation, you think about this term incarnation, it comes out of John chapter 1, verse 14. And it's the linchpin, it's the, the, very, um, uh, the very heart of, of the message that I want to get across to you these three weeks. Uh, but we'll concentrate on in, in, in week three. Let me read that to you. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Incarnation. That word uh, uh, may not uh, ring a bell with us so much today, but it's a Latin, it comes from a Latin word that literally means in the flesh. In the flesh. And so as we think about this theology of the incarnation, we have to recognize this is the reference point uh, uh, to the birth of Jesus. That first Christmas when the Son of God put on flesh and moved in among people. Uh, moved in among us people. It's a turning point in human history. It is a, a place where hope shined into the darkness. It's a place where life was made available to all who believe. And this morning as we begin to think about the incarnation and what Christmas really means, we begin with, uh, with just a, a few minutes on the person of the incarnation. Let me ask you to begin with a question. And I, I want you to respond. Um, I'm looking for answers on this one. So, who is this baby in the manger? What's your response to that question? Who is this baby in the manger? God. The Word. Jesus. Savior. Anybody else? The Holy One. Prince of Peace. I think I heard Emmanuel. Who is this person born in a manger? Verse number one says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. As we think about this person, we need to define this term logos. This term word, the Word. This, this word logos is a cleverly used word by the Apostle John as he's writing this Gospel account because this word connected uh, the Palestinian Jews, the Greek uh, pagans, as well as the Hellenistic Jews, the the Greekanized Jews, that's, that's my term, um, to help you understand that Hellenistic term. Uh, for, for all three of them, Logos had a different yet somewhat similar meaning. For the Palestinian Jews, it was a personification of wisdom. That is, it was the, the thought of God. For the Greeks, it was the creative force. It was the force behind which everything came into being. For the Hellenistic Jews, it was the way to know God. Uh, Dr. Danny Aiken is the president of Southeastern Seminary, and, and this is what he says. This is his definition of Logos, God's personal, visible communication to man in revealing and redeeming power. God's personal, visible communication to man in revealing and redeeming power. If I can give you my simple definition of the word Logos, this is, this is how I would describe it. Logos is everything that God wanted to say to mankind about Himself and about His redeeming work. That is, that everything, if, if God had one thing to say to you this morning, that one thing is this. Jesus. Jesus. He is the sum total uh, of God's communication to reveal the person 
and the heart of God. So when we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we know that there's significance of what is being said in that God Almighty is communicating Himself to us through Jesus. What does it tell us about Jesus? Well, the person in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning takes us back to, uh, reminds us of Genesis 1-1. Who can quote Genesis 1-1 for us? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, what is, what is John getting at here? John is, is declaring to you and to me that He, that is the Son of God, is eternal in nature. He is eternal. That in the beginning, that is not, that, that's not just before His birthday, that's not just uh, before this event or that, but in the very beginning, before creation was ever uh, begun, Jesus, the Son of God, existed. Existed uh, in, in His full person. He is eternal in His nature. In, in the beginning was the Word. That verb was is a continuous existence. Uh, there is no beginning uh, to, to the Son of God. He was already there. Uh, just a, a word of note this morning. When you encounter the question, where does God come from? Uh, let me tell you this more. The Bible never answers that question. The Bible assumes that God already is. And that's important for us to understand this morning. God already was when creation began. He already is. And therefore, we can know that this Word, the Son of God, is eternal. No beginning, no end. So when this terrestrial ball we live on was created, by, by the voice and the hand of God, the Son was present and involved. We'll read a little bit more about that in just a minute. But when you, when you see that, He was before creation, He was involved in creation. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is eternal. The second thing this passage tells us about uh, the Jesus, about the Son of God, about the Word is this. And the Word was with God. He, that is the Son of God, is unified with God. One of the most complicated uh, doctrines or, or, or concepts of theology is the Trinity of Scripture. That is that the Godhead is three in one. That He is a unified whole. When we, uh, when we read this, we recognize this literally says that the Word was face-to-face -face with God. They are three distinct persons, and they are equal uh, in their essence. That is, they are one. When we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God. We are talking about, when we talk just about the Father, we are talking about God. When we talk just about Jesus, we are talking about God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, He is not some force. He is God revealing Himself. Three persons in one. Now, let me stop right there and throw something at you. This is a, a, an errant teaching that I want you to be aware of because it's out there. It's an errant teaching called modalism. How many of you have ever heard of modalism? If you're in my Sunday school class, you've heard of modalism because I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It is if you came to class. If you didn't come to class, you don't have a clue. Um, modalism is the idea that uh, 
that, that is espoused by some very popular uh, television preachers, that, that this, God was once the Father, then He became the Son, but today He is the Holy Spirit. And so it, it, it presents God in modes. Well, that is not the biblical principle, because when you look at creation, God the Father was there. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 says that the Spirit of God hovered, hovered over the face of the waters. The Spirit was there. And then when you encounter, when you, when you see here in John chapter 1 or Colossians 1, we know that the Son of God was there. Three in one. He is unified as a whole. Uh, that is, that, that, that when we encounter, when we see here that the Word was with God, or that we, we recognize the intimacy that Jesus and the Father have together. They're intimate because they are one. We see that in the course of Jesus' ministry. When we, when we see Jesus going away to be alone in the garden early in the morning hours to talk to the Father. They are one. They are one in, in their, their heart. They're one in their purpose. Well, the third thing it tells us about His character, He is eternal. He is unified with God. The third thing is this. He, the Son of God, is divine. Joe Moore, what would you say to the baby in a manger? Who is He? He is God. He is God. We need to understand that today. That when we look at the baby in a manger, he is not just another baby. He is not Mary's child. He is God of all gods. Look, look at the text here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Now, it, when you read that in the, in the Greek, uh, the original language of Scripture writing, it, it says it quite differently. It says, and God was the Word. And God was the Word. Why is this such a point? It's because some of you, some of us have encountered those that, 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 that this very verse is a, is a big part of their errant theology to say that, God, that Jesus or the Word was a God. That's not what it says. It says that this Son of God, this babe in a manger, is not just a God is not just a baby, but this baby is Almighty God in the flesh. In the Greek language, word order is used to emphasize something. Word order is used to make something stand out. And so in the Greek, when God was the Word, when God is put first, John is making a bold and decorative statement to say that this baby, born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, is Almighty God. That's good news. That the God of heaven would step down into our world to be our Redeemer as a child. He is eternal. He has no beginning. Folks, He has no end. But He will stand forever. He is unified. He is unified. And he is divine. The Son of God is 
divine. Well, it, it, we, we encounter this person. I want you to see a couple of other things in, in the first few verses. To think about the function of, of the Word, the function of Jesus um, as, as this divine Son of God. Verse number 2 says this, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. The function of Jesus, first and foremost, is that He, uh, the function of the Son of God, first and foremost, is that He is authoritative creator. He is authoritative creator. He is not a created being. The Son of God is not a created being. Now, He is introduced to us in, in Jesus as a baby. Formed in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, birthed on that holy night, not a silent night probably, but a holy night nonetheless. Um, he is he is introduced, but he is not a created being in himself. He is the creator. As creator, we have to understand he is superior to his creation. You understand that? That as creator he is superior to his creation? That means that he is not bound by natural laws as we are. He's not bound by natural laws or ideals that we encounter. He supersedes time and space and can work in our lives as he pleases. When it says here that, that all things were made through him and without, nothing, uh, without him nothing was made that was made, <clears throat> we recognize the powerful hand of the Lord Jesus to bring about the creation um, in into existence to bring about that, and as creator, as authoritative creator, he is Lord over creation. That has significance for you and me. That has great significance for you and me. Uh, and, and I would say to you, we must not, we cannot limit the Lord Jesus according to our limitations. How many times do we hear people say, "Well, if I were, well, well, if if, if God, if I were God." Now, I know I realize that's tr trying to elevate us, but what we're doing is this. We make assumptions and decisions based on what we think God should do because we feel that way about it. Folks, listen, God's not limited to what we can do or what we do, would do. Uh, he, is, he is not limited by any, anything. When, when you think about this natural law, that is, uh, the natural laws of science and God is not limited to natural law. Uh, there are those who throw out the virgin birth because it's never happened before. Well, it never happened before then. It hadn't happened since. There's only one virgin-born Son of God. He's Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if He's Creator, He can do whatever He pleases with His creation. So, He's not limited by the natural law. He's not limited by our limitations. So if He's not limited by natural law, or He's not limited by our limitations, we should not limit ourselves as He works in our lives. Now listen, what do I mean by that? As Jesus works in our lives, you and I have to be very careful not to set limits on what He can do through us. doesn't matter how, how, how educated we are. It doesn't matter how not educated we are. It doesn't matter how uh, how much common sense we've got or how little we have. What matters is this. When God moves upon our lives, He's not bound by the world's limitations. He's not bound by common sense. So when He moves upon us and begins to lead us in the direction that, that everybody else says, whoa, you can't do that. Hear me. We 
should not limit ourselves as we follow the Lord. We shouldn't limit ourselves and say, you know, God, you can do everything, but you can't do that because I'm me. I'll get in the way. We, if He is authoritative Creator, then He has authority to do as He pleases in our lives. And He works according to His plan and His time. So why would we limit ourselves to what God could do? Could God use you in a different career? Let me ask you all a scary question. Fort Trump, you can verify this scary question. Could God use you in ministry? first thing we do is we come up with reason after reason after reason. God couldn't use me or God couldn't use you in, in this area or that area. But what we miss is this. God's not bound by your limitations. He'll do more than you could ever imagine when you allow Him to take the chains away. Can He use you in missions? Sure, if you will allow him, can he? Can he? Oh my goodness! Can, this is simple. This is simple. You can do. You don't even have to go to. You don't have to go to Peru. You don't have to go anywhere else in the world. You don't have to be a preacher up on a stage behind a pulpit. Can he use you to lead someone to Jesus? Can he? He can if you'll open your mouth and let him. Don't limit him. There are miracles that happen, right? Sometimes miracles surprise us. So therefore, we should submit to his authority over us as creator and Lord. And when we do that, we'll see him do way, way more than we could ever imagine. The, the, the last thing I would point out to you about the person of the incarnation. He is eternal in person. He is uh, unified, whole in person. He is divine. He is God in person functions as the authoritative creator, but he also functions as a life-giving Savior. Verse number 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. When you read the account of Genesis 1 and you see creation, the Bible says that when in Genesis 2, when God created man, formed him from the dust of the ground, there, there's a uniqueness to man that, that is given. It says that and that God breathed into him the breath of life. It, there, there's a uniqueness to God's creation of man. It is through the, the breath of God. Jesus was there. The Son of God was there. And as, as the Son of God, he, uh, he is life-giving to our physical bodies, but it's much farther than our physical bodies. He, he gives spiritual life. Look, if He's there when we receive our physical breath. Listen, he, he is also there in person when a person dead in spirit, dead in trespasses and sins, is raised to life in the new birth. He, look, when I share the gospel with someone, it's not me saving anybody. It's not me doing anything other than being a, 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 an open mouth to share the gospel. It's the Spirit of God that would take a lost person dead in trespasses and sins and help them see the truth and the hope of Christ. And in an instant of belief and faith, He breathes into them 
life eternal and life abundant. He is life-giving Savior. He has accomplished salvation. He extends the invitation to salvation. He affects salvation in our lives to all who believe. He's life-giving Savior. He also gives light into our lives. Verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. That light was the light of men. That is for us. For you and for me, we can know that when we see the light of Christ, when we hear the light of Christ, He is, he is there to guide us and direct us into all things pertaining to Him, into all things that are, are pertaining to His service, obedience to Him. We are not called to the mundane of mere existence. You're not called just to get up on Monday morning and go to work so you can pay bills and then come to church on Sunday so you can just do everything else like you always do it on Monday morning. You are called to Christ, this life-giving Savior, not just to get you into heaven, but to give you life right here, right now, as you follow Him. You see, the person of the Incarnation, He is eternal. He is unified. He is divine. Very God. He has come as authoritative Creator to be Lord of His creation and as life-giving Savior to give us something that we can never earn or attain on our own. And it begins for us when we give ourselves completely to Him. It begins when we approach the manger. Not with wonder over, oh, a cute little baby. But with wonder that the God of heaven would step out of glory in the form of a baby so that you and I could really, really live. Let me ask you, are you just existing in this world? Are you just going through the motions of life? Looking for anything that would provide some sense of stability, some sense of hope? you. Stop looking everywhere else. Look to the Christ, Son of God, who would, who would give Himself for you and me. Right now, lost person? There's some lost people in here. I don't, I don't have a doubt about that. You'll never know the peace and joy you can have in this life until you come to the place where you acknowledge Christ. When you see you acknowledge there's something wrong and that you can see that Jesus fills that void, gives that life when you trust Him. Christian? There's a lot of Christians that limit themselves. They limit themselves because they don't see God doing anything in their lives outside of the, the mundane 
existence of life. Oh, God's got so much more. But when you rec- it begins when you yield to Him as Lord and Master. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You that You are God. I thank You that You're God and I'm not. Thank you that you are eternal in nature, beyond our comprehension. I thank you that as the eternal God, we can trust you with our eternal life. I thank you, Lord, that you are unified, whole. That through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you gift us life, and then you affect that life in us. Father, I thank you that when we encounter you as creator and as life-giving Savior, you extend a hand of invitation to us to follow me. Come to me. All who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray that, that those in this room today, lost, saved, whatever condition of their heart today, I pray that they would find themselves Worshipping this Christmas. Worshipping you this Christmas. As King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, in this time of decision, I pray that every one of us would run to you. In Jesus' name.